Ah, oh, well, good morning. Um, I know we're going to have people trickling in because that's just what happens in the morning. You got kids that need to be somewhere, breakfast needs to be eaten, and all these things. So, oh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Nose, come back. Ah, oh, there it is. See, there it is. We were just talking about that. <laughs> so here, I'll just tell you a little bit about this. So this is uh, a word that the Lord gave me. It's kind of my mantra, so to speak. I have a struggle memorizing scripture. Um, it's just, it's something that is this, there's the something that clicks in my brain and it shuts it down. And I know it's the enemy not wanting me to. He can't control my brain, but he can put other things in its way, you know, out there, those distractions that he does. But anyway, I was doing a a study on what does it mean to fear the Lord. And uh, the Lord revealed Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, verses, uh, wait, chapter 10, yeah, uh, 10, um, 11 and 12. And so 10, 12, and he, uh, it says in there, and what does the Lord require of you, O Israel? And I just put my own name in there. And then there's this um, list really of things that it means to fear the Lord. Well, because I can't memorize that, I twisted them around and this acronym came out. So it's to serve God, love God, observe his commands, and walk in all his ways. That's slow living. That's my, to serve God, love God, observe his commands, and walk in all his ways. And so the Lord will, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I am a crabby woman and I'm driving down the road, and there's a slow sign on the side of the road. I'm like, oh, yes, I got it, Lord. I mean, we, I was on a retreat one time speaking. I was a speaker on a retreat, and I had an attitude, not that anybody else knew, but it was internal. And it was something completely outside of the, um, the retreat where I was at. And, of course, this goes all along with what our, fo- our focus is today about refocusing the confused. And I, could, I was confused at that moment, and I am walking, and I, you know, when you get down, your face goes down, right? So I'm walking along, and there on the ground is a double slow. It was slow and slow, like right there, and I thought, oh, okay, Lord, I got you. Thank you, man. That was, have you ever been spanked by the Holy Spirit? Because it, it should happen in your life. It's good when that happens. So this is, yep, serve God. Love God, observe his commandments, walk in all his ways. Serve, love, observe, walk. Are we good? All right. You're welcome. And that particular picture right there has a whole story all on its own, but I don't have time to tell you what it is. So (laughs) we don't need that. We don't need that. He had this all set up for me, and you would think that I would have. (laughs) Exactly. It's Tuesday. Slideshow from the beginning. Aaron, I did it all by myself. He's a technical, he's he's the guy, he's the (laughs) go-to. If you need to know anything, just go to Aaron. (laughs) Him too, huh? Awesome. (laughs) Oh, see how cool that is. Okay, so one announcement. Uh, Bayshore Camp has another summer camp next week. 
and their nurse had to cancel on them at the last minute. And they are really needing a nurse for the camp. If there's somebody who, if you are a nurse, if you know of a nurse, if you know four nurses and they can all come volunteer and give some time, you need to go to the uh, Welcome Center and see Jeff Parsons and get connected with him if that is something that you're able to do. I'm trying to not have eye contact with the ones that I know are nurses. <laughs> so I'm just going to look up here. Because <laughs> I, I don't want them to feel, you know, <laughs> pressured by me in any way. Um, and then, uh, sorry, but this is just for the ladies, just really quick. I have these cards that are over here. They're little announcements. Um, there is a women's conference that uh, myself and a couple of other women, a team of women, have created and put together. And it's happening this November in Southeast Michigan. It's a one-day conference. And these cards just give you the basic information of the theme, the, um, the date, and then the website where you can go to find out more information. Take as many cards as you want. We can create more. You can go to that website if you want. And um, ladies, if you're interested in further Bible studies, or I guess men can go and read blogs too. I tend to lean more towards ministry to women, but, uh, but we invited the guys in here today. So that's cool. But uh, I have some business cards there too that just have some information. They're over there if you want that. If you did not get one of these, um, just a little study guides. They're also over here on top of the piano. Grab one of those because it might help you take notes. Um, it could be something that you need to doodle on. I have kids who need to doodle, so I get it. If you're doodling, you're, under, you're actually paying attention better. So um, that's a teacher thing, right? <laughs> Except don't doodle when the teacher in school needs your attention. Um, but uh, we are going to continue looking at the book of Genesis and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, this verse today is going to guide us in our time today. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. Again, I love how God's word is so matter-of-fact. And very, when, when I hear people say, it's so confusing, I don't understand it. Oh, it's not. You've just been led to believe that it's confusing. It's, there's a difference between it's confusing and I'm getting confused. There's a difference because it's not confusing. It's quite simple because, look, for God is not a God of confusion. My, my NIV, the New International Version, says is not a God of disorder, which I personally love that word. But for our purposes today, we needed confusion. And I believe the uh, English Standard Version and maybe the um, American Standard, I can't remember what versions say, uh, confusion. For God is not a God of confusion. Does anybody not understand that phrase? It, do you get it? God is not a God of confusion. He doesn't desire for his children to be confused. But how many of you have spiritually been confused? Oh, there's some perfect people in the room. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I'm just kidding. I, I, I need to be refocused many times because I do get confused. I allow myself to get caught up into the things that are going on around me or in me or at me or to me, and then I start to get my eyes off of who holy God is. And that's what happens with Isaac and Rebecca today as well. Does anybody need any other a booklet? Somebody's ready to pass them out to you. Thank you, Lee. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24, 
We're going to land there for a little bit. And as soon as we all get there, we're going to pray, inviting the Holy Spirit who is here, but we want to make sure that our hearts are uh, connected to that invitation. Remember, he woos us all here. It is all about who he is and how he ministers to us. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, we thank you once again that we are here to learn from you. Holy Spirit, you come and you be the teacher. You come and you reshape and remold and refocus the confused. God, for those of us that uh, need to have some things set straight, where we need to understand something a little better, where we desire to go deeper, where you want to take us, Father, we're going to trust that you are the one leading and guiding this, this time here this morning. Lord, I know that uh, we, even though we're at family camp, there's a lot of distractions that happen in life because there's a lot of things going on outside of this camp. And some of us have phone calls to make and we have emails to check and we need to make doctor's appointments and we have relationship issues that are unsettled and, and we're, we're not sure what tomorrow holds. And God, I know that uh, the, the songwriter <laughs> said, but we know who holds the future. May we focus on you. May we have our eyes so fixed on you we see nothing else, especially in this moment here. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed your revealed word to come to us, the word of God, and it can be revealed to us if we but open it and read it and study it. And so, God, I'm thankful that we're here to talk about your word today. Thank you for a man named Isaac and a woman named Rebecca. Thank you that they were followers of you. Thank you that they knew what it was to walk closely with you. They were tucked in tight to you. But then, God, some things happened and they got confused. Thank you that we can learn from them on how to walk right and how to get back right when we get off your track. So we ask, God, that the words of all of our mouths, the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing unto you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm a mom, and as any parent knows, we have a certain amount of control when it comes to our kids, especially when they're little. We control everything. We control when they eat, when they go to bed. We control what they wear. We control where they sleep. We are in control of our kids. As they get older, the control turns some. And we, we need to order their lives. We need to make sure, I, I'm personally as a mom, I, I pick out the clothes they wear. I, I buy the food that they eat. I man and manage the shows that they watch. We're in charge of their bedtimes. We make sure they get to their practices on time and the lessons that they have. We manage their day-to-day -day activities. We're in control because we're in authority over our children, and that's the way it's supposed to be until they get older. <clears throat> when our children become more in high school age, we start having a conversation with them, and we start saying things like, we will always be your parent, but there comes a day when we will no longer parent you, the noun-verb thing. I will always be the noun, but I will stop the verb, and I am done parenting you. And so starting within high school, we start to have those conversations with them. Sometimes that's not so easy. 
And yet, I want my kids to understand that they don't submit to me as a parent any longer. They don't need to... The children obey your parents in the Lord, but the commandment to honor your father and mother, that's always in play. So there's always the honoring going on, but honoring doesn't necessarily mean obeying. Honoring has a lot... That, could, that can just speak all day long. So control. I think that that's an issue that a lot of Christians struggle with. Do you have something you want to say? <laughs> Where you still need to parent them? Is that what you're saying? Children in your... I, I'm repeating what you're saying because we're being recorded. I want to make sure that the people listening get it. So sometimes adult children need parenting. They need guidance. They need wisdom. That's for sure. That is for sure. So let's turn it, though, into our personal lives. How much of your life do you like to be in control of? Consider that. And how much of your life do you control and you allow God to just have some space in that? That's kind of what we're looking at today. We're also going to look at, because I believe the control causes a lot of confusion, but I think there's another big issue that keeps us stuck in our relationship with Jesus. So a few years ago, I was out here at Bayshore Camp, and I was speaking at a ladies' day, and the theme that we had were called the stones. And one of the lessons was on the giant stones that get in our way, and I used David and Goliath as the example. And um, at the end of the speaking, um, I had the women come up. We had a table, and if you remember, if those of you that have been around Bayshore for a while would remember the big throne-like chairs that sat on the platform. So they still have those around here. And I had the biggest one brought in, put up on a table, <clears throat> and it repre represented the throne of Jesus. And then I passed out sticky notes, little post-it notes all around, and, and the women were to write down the giants in their life that were in the way of them being able to see Jesus at work. For lack of better um, description, that's it. And then they had a moment where they could have the opportunity to come and put their sticky notes, their concerns, the giants in their life, which really were just these little post-it notes, and put them on the throne of Jesus, seeing that even all of our concerns and cares could not be bigger than the throne, the authority, the supremacy of who Jesus is. <clears throat> and I told the ladies on that day that I wasn't going to read their things because I didn't want to look at, you know, handwritings and different things, and I was just going to throw them away. Well, I lied because I took them home. I didn't know that I lied at the moment, but I took all them home because they were just in my bag, and the, the bag was sitting on my desk, like a Ziploc bag with all of these Post-it notes, and the Lord said, their names aren't on them. I want you to read them. So I pulled them out, and I put them all in different stacks of what their concerns were. The largest stack outnumbered by far for the Christian ladies in that room on these campgrounds on that day was anxiety and worry. Anxiety and worry. And I have done similar things like that at other places where I've spoken and I just ask questions and it is an overwhelming response that what gets us confused, what gets us, what gets in the way of us, a lot of times is worry and anxiety. 
Now, I do want to say that I'm not referring to a clinical diagnosis of anxiety. That is a separate issue, and I am not here to talk about that because I am not a professional in any way whatsoever to be able to speak on that. I'm talking about those, the anxiety and the worry that is just a part of every day in everybody, okay? If we can kind of separate that out. If you're somebody who struggles with that, I, please do not hear me say, that you just need to get over it, because man, that's not gonna work, okay? And I know that, and so I wanna make sure that you hear me um, say that. So these two, I'm gonna call them epidemics in the church, in the body of Christ, of anxiety and control that I believe have us so confused, and God's word says we need to be refocused. So. The first refocus plan to help the confused, let's talk about a word. It's a word that a lot of people don't like. It's a word that a lot of people struggle with. But here's something that I have found out. If I'm going to struggle over a word that God has something to say about, then I need to get over that. Because if God says it, then I need to pay attention to it. And God's word says that we are to submit. What does it mean to submit? It needs to yield. It's another word. It needs to give up to an authority, to surrender, to relinquish. Was that not one of the most beautiful pictures last night in the tabernacle with people on their knees, on their faces, before the throne, at the altar, relinquishing something, surrendering something, inviting Jesus into something that was absolutely beautiful. And that is a refocus plan for us. So we need to take a look at Rebecca and Isaac. And we are going to look at where they got confused. But before we do that, we have to do the backstory. We have to bring in who they are. Because if we just start talking about where they got confused then we're not going to have the bigger picture. I love big pictures. I love pieces. I ask a lot of questions. Sometimes it gets me in trouble because I ask questions. See, I would rather talk to you than talk about you. So if I want to know something about you, I'm just going to ask the question, and then it's your choice on whether you want me to know or not. That's the way that I like, because I just uh, gossip is absolutely not acceptable. So I won't talk about it. I want to know things because there's things about people that make sense for who they are right now. And those pieces matter. And with Isaac and Rebecca, we have to grab some of these pieces. So we do need to back up to chapter 24 and look at verse 1. And we're going to get this set up here. Yesterday we talked about Abraham and Sarah. And so here we have, do you remember yesterday in our story when we left, how old was Abraham and Sarah? Do you remember? Uh, about 86, yeah, uh, well, he was, I think, was 75, yeah, 85, 86, right around there. So, because Ishmael was born. Uh, that's right, thank you. And so, Sarah's 10 years younger, so she would have been 75, 76 at that point. So, look at chapter 24 here. It says, Abraham was now old. I think that's just funny. <laughs> he's now old, and not only is he old, he's well advanced in years, <laughs> too. And the Lord had blessed him, how much? In every way. And so Isaac has now been born. Isaac was the promised son. Anybody know how old Abraham was when Isaac was born? He was 100. 
Yeah, he was 100, and, uh, and Sarah was 90. So now Isaac is a man. So now Abraham is old and well advanced in years. See, 75 was a young man. <laughs> there you go. And he says to the chief servant, this is what I want you to pay attention to as we read through just this little portion of scripture right here. We're looking at acts of submission. We're looking at acts of where people are giving up to an authority, where people are relinquishing control. And so he says to the chief servant, is there submission there, right there? Sure there is, because Abraham is the authority over his chief servant. And he says... Um, put your hand under my thigh. That's kind of weird, but it's what they did. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and you will get a wife for my son, Isaac. And then the servant says, well, what if the woman's unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country that you came from? It appears here, because we have the submission thing going on, where Abraham is submitted to God, and the chief servant is submitted to Abraham, and then you have this chief servant asking a question. There's a difference between questioning authority and asking authority a question. He's asking authority a question. He's not questioning authority. He wants to make sure that he's getting it right. He doesn't want to fail his authority. And so he, it's okay to ask a question. He's not questioning authority. That's important to understand because later on, this thought comes back again. So there's these clear directives. Make sure that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land, and he will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Verse 8, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham, swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Lots of submission going on here, and it's good stuff with some really clear directives. I want us to focus on verse 7 because it helps us refocus the confused. He will send his angel before you. Who is he? It's the Lord. But look at where the Lord in verse 7 is talked about. The Lord, the God of heaven. This translates to Jehovah Elohim. I know that I botch some words in the Hebrew and in Greek all the time. But E-L-O-H. I-Y-M is who the God of heaven is. So Jehovah is the Lord. That's, he's the Lord. He is the ultimate authority. And he is the God. That means the ruling existing one. The ruling existing one. So an angel is submitting to the Lord Jehovah, the God, the ruler, and the existing one. And he's going ahead, this God, goes ahead of the servant to take care of the details. And this brings us to another refocus plan when we're refocusing the confused. You see, trusting God also entrusts the details to him. The time comes 
when the most careful planner needs to entrust the unknown and the unforeseen details to God. Any planners in the room? Type A, like to have it all just right in a row. Man, you, you people are not me. But I understand it, and I get that you must be this way because you help those of us that aren't that way. It helps keep order. God is a God of order. And so when chaos is involved, we've got to take a look at where the chaos is because if God is a God of order and something's chaotic or disorder or out of order, then we need to get God back in that. And how do we invite him back in that? And so the time comes when trusting God goes even deeper to entrust the details to him. So the servant entrusts the details because look what he does in verse 12. He prays. He prays. And he says, oh, Lord, God of my master. Do you see that? Lord, God of my master, Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master, Abraham. You see, I'm standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And then she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant, Isaac. Oh, I love that the God, the ruling existing one, is in charge here. There is no confusion going on. Things are happening all in order, all in their proper place. We see in verse 11 that it was evening. It just happens to be the time when the women went to draw water. I think this guy's pretty smart, actually, right? Make sure I'm just going to go to where all the ladies are. And his eyes are fixed and focused on God, praying for God's will because he's entrusting the details to God. And he, in entrusting the details to God, is actively participating in this plan. You know, how sweet would it be for this very girl that God has chosen for Isaac that would come and actually get near Isaac, and when Isaac, or excuse me, the servant, and when the servant is to ask for a drink, that she would respond, drink this, and I'll water your camels too. How sweet would that be if it's going to happen? Oh, and by the way, she has to be a relative of Abraham, right? Because all these things matter, because it's all a part of the order, and it's all a part of not being confused. I love the very beginning of verse 15. It's one of the most precious pieces of scripture. Before he had finished praying. What? He didn't even say amen. Before he had finished praying, <laughs> Rebecca came out. He's not even done praying. You, that is proof that God's hand was there first, moving and directing this entire event that's about to go on. And oh, by the way, Rebecca is the grandniece of Abraham. So that means that she's Isaac's first cousin once removed. Now, there's a lot of cousins in the thumb of Michigan. We lived in the thumb, and I know that. People would say, yes, they're my third cousin. And I said, so tell me how that works. Because I like to know this whole order thing. Because a lot of people confuse first and second cousins two and three times removed 
for third and fourth cousins. It's actually a little difficult to get third and fourth cousins. So most are, so like my first cousin has a child, that's not my second cousin. My first cousin's child is my first cousin once removed. Now when my first cousin has children and I have children, now both sets of our children are second cousins. So when my children have children, then my children are my first cousins, right? My first cousins, first cousin twice removed. You got to line up, you got to start from the beginning. Did you get it? You don't get it, right? Okay, so later see me and I'll use your family as the example. You got to just write it down. Yes. You were, oh, wow. I'm not even going to put that on the recording because I will protect my friend. <laughs> For those of you listening to the audio, <laughs> that was pre-banter for the Philippians study that's here <laughs> later. I love it. <laughs> so Isaac's first cousin once removed, Rebecca, happens to be at the well. She happens to be drawing water. Oh, I love when God surprises his people. So control as a parent. Back in 2016, in the beginning of 2016, uh, I was thinking about my kids, all of my children, thinking, I just, how am I going to pray for my kids this year? What, what can I do? And I don't, this has never, ever, ever happened before in my life. Only in 2016 did it happen. And it was not, 30 seconds later, I had six words that started with the letter C assigned to each one of my children that the Lord wanted me to pray for them for the year 2016. Okay, so the words were this. Clarity, choices, conviction, confidence, covenant, and contentment. And the words, only one word to one child. I didn't pray all the words on all the children. My son Eric had the word contentment. He had recently been engaged to somebody, and they had called off the engagement. Well, she had called off the engagement, and it was, I'll say it like this. If you can break up well, they broke up well. I know that sounds crazy, but it, there was zero drama involved in this, whole, in this whole thing. A lot of heartbreak and hurt on both sides. But, you know, when God says, don't go any further, they listened to that. So it made sense to me why Eric's word was contentment. And so I was praying contentment on Eric. And I did okay. I was being this kind of sideline observer because he's an adult. So he doesn't need me to parent him. He just needs me to be his mom. He needs me to be his parent. And so one day I inserted myself uninvited into the parenting game back into his life. All I wanted to do, though, was just offer some words of comfort to him. But they didn't land as I had planned very well. And I was talking to my oldest daughter, Christine, and uh, she confronted me with some words of wisdom. And she said, Mama, Eric has a lot of friends, but he only has one mom. Can you just be his mom and not his friend? Yes, I can. And so... It was necessary that I heed Christine's advice. Otherwise, my heart was going to be susceptible. I was right on the brink of a lot of confusion jumping into my life at that moment. 
And the Lord put a lasso on me and just pulled me back in in the midst of that. And so I was submitting these pieces of confusion back to Jesus over my son. Any parents in here ever hurt over your children? Yeah, they hurt, you hurt. It's what It goes along with the package. It's supposed to be that way. And so I continued to pray over Eric and this word contentment in his life. About four weeks later, I get a phone call from Eric. We talked all the time, but I got a phone call from Eric. He said, Mom, I don't know what's going on, but I am just not content. <laughs> and inside, I'm like, yes. And he said, you don't sound upset. And I said, I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry. <laughs> could, could you share with me what's going on? You know, then I had to kind of tone it down a little bit because how do you tell your son who just says to you, I'm not content, how do you say, oh, praise the Lord, that's fantastic. I'm so glad you're not content. Because my reasoning was, my prayers were, God, if you have another plan for my son's life, would you please make him discontent? I thought I was going to be praying for contentment, and I was actually praying for discontentment in his life. And he called and he said, I have a job that I'm supposed to love. I get paid well. I live in a town I absolutely love. I just started a new church. I'm making new friends. Everything in my life says that I should be content, and I'm not content. Eric, I don't know that I can tell you because I couldn't say to him, well, that's because the Lord is speaking to you, son, and you need to listen to him. That's not going to go over very well because, see, a friend can say that. The mom saying that would have been different. So I just continued, Eric, I'm going to pray with you. And I did, and we prayed on the phone. I continued to pray, and two weeks later, he sends Kevin and I a message. And he said, um, do you remember back when I was in college and I stood up and declared that I felt the Lord was calling me into full-time ministry? I'm going back. I'm going to school. I'm going to seminary. Oh, Mama, would you go with me the day that I want to go and check out the seminary? Yes, son, I will do that. And so a few weeks later, we were in the, in the van on our way to Asbury Theological Seminary, where he is currently a student. And so the Lord just surprises us along the way. Oh, look what happens here as Rebecca comes out from the well. And where am I? 15. Before he had finished praying, she came out with her jar on her shoulder, and she's the daughter of, and that tells us who she is, the first cousin once removed. The girl was very beautiful. She was a virgin. No man had ever been with her. And she went down to the spring. She filled her jar. She came up again, and the servant hurried to meet her. That word is just crucial in there. We're not going to talk about it, but just circle it and go back someday. He hurries. Okay, I'll say this. When God is at work and God is on the move, you need to make sure that you don't sit back and say, I need to make sure this is the Lord. What? This is exactly what he prays for. So then he, so he hurries and says, would you please give me a little water from your jar? She says, drink, my Lord. She quickly lowers the jar to her hands. She gives him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she says, and I'll even draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. So she quickly empties her jar into the trough. She runs back to the well. She draws more water. She draws enough for all the camels. And this man does what women find very difficult. Without saying a word, 
You see, if I was there and I was the servant, I'd be like, whoa, everybody stop right now. You stay right there because we're about to go to your family's house. And you, you go get those camels ready. You go over there and you get packing those donkeys. Everybody ready? We have got things to do. But he says, without saying a word, he watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. I could have inserted a lot of confusion into this, but this man is all about submission still, and he's waiting to just make sure that this is what's happening. And she is exactly who God said she should be, and she is exactly who Abraham said she should be, and the servant has seen exactly who he came to see. And so look at verse 28. The girl runs and tells her mother's household about all these things. And Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. And as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, because she got those as gifts, and had heard Rebekah tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring and says, Come, you who are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing here? I've prepared the house and the place for the camels. So he went, and the camels were unloaded. All this stuff happens. Food is set before them. Party, party, party. And then he goes on in verse 34, and he says, I am Abraham's servant. Again, we have submission. We have entrusting these details to the Lord. And says, the Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. And then he goes on to explain why their daughter, sister, would be safe coming with him and explaining all is good, this is all from the Lord. And then he says in verse 40, the Lord before, he replied, the Lord before whom I have walked, this is him responding on behalf of Abraham. Because Abraham's sweet journey was a journey of walking with the Lord. So we need to fast forward just a little bit here. I'm leaving a lot out, but that's because it's not necessarily for us today in our story. But the family says in verse 51, here is Rebecca, take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord directed. Again, submission, entrusting the details to him. And I love that Rebecca's mom does not stand up and say, over my dead body will you take my daughter that far away from me. There's nobody saying that in here. They are all on the same plan because confusion is nowhere in sight. Because there's yielding and surrender and submission and entrusting details here. However, she did ask in verse 55, could we just have a little more time? Just a little more time. Just a few days. You see, a part of our refocus plan, though, is that a godly perspective must have your attention. A godly perspective must have and keep your attention. Have you ever heard the phrase, whatever has your attention has you? Whatever has your attention has you. So if God has your attention, then he has you. But if your issues have your attention, then they hold you. Asserting your rights into God's plan cannot happen because then you miss what is truly going on. 
We have a focus, and it is incapable of seeing beyond the present. We can see the present, we can know the past, but we have zero ability or capability of seeing what comes next. God does, and we need to make sure that our perspective is always on his perspective. As asserting her rights as a mother over my dead body, she asked for a few more days, she should have even asked for that, but asserting her rights in this would be wrong because when you assert your rights, you just might halt, hinder, or hurt God's plan. So they did something that would be countercultural here in verse 57. Well, let's call the girl and ask her about it. Let's call the girl. She really didn't have a say. But they say, let's call her and see what she has to say about it. And look what she says in verse 58. Rebecca says, the very last phrase that she speaks in verse 58, three beautiful words, I will go. God has her attention, and her focus is on him. It's very important that we note that she does not say, I will leave. She's not focused on the leaving. She's focused on the going. I will go. Going follows God. Leaving focuses on what you left behind. Going, uh, uh, going follows God. Leaving focuses on what's left behind. This girl isn't leaving anyone or anything. She's following the Lord, and she wants to go where he leads. No confusion. James chapter 4, verse 7 says to submit yourselves then to the Lord. Submit yourselves then to the Lord. See, we read that in verse 7, and then because the word then is in there, implies that we should probably pay attention to the first five, six verses of James to see what that really means. And we don't have time right now to go there, but if you go to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, you can find the pronoun you, and you can circle it, and you can see how many times you is mentioned in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And then you find out why you need to submit yourselves to the Lord. Because if it's all about you, 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 you're going to be confused. And that needs to be refocused. Rebecca, her primary concern here is obediently following God by submitting to him. She doesn't want to submit to another person. She doesn't even want to submit to what she wants. She wants to submit to Jehovah's will. Relinquishing control does not participate in tug of war. It's what I want. It's what he wants. It's what I want. It's what he wants. Rebecca was all in with her three simple words, I will go. But what if we took out the go and you had to say, I will, what is it that you need to submit? What is it that you need to yield to? What is it that's a struggle? I will stop that behavior. I will forgive. I will press on. I will submit. I will not gossip. I will stop bitterness. I will go to that person and get that relationship back. What is the I will that you need to do that God is calling you to do? And will you do it? When Eric called and said that he was discontent and then he 
sent us a letter saying that he was called into uh, to go to seminary, and we went to visit. That literally happened from somewhere in March, and we were at the seminary visiting in April, and then he quit his job in the summer and started seminary last September. So it was a very fast, actually August, it was a very fast move for him. And he's a planner. He, is, he has a spreadsheet for everything. I appreciate my son immensely. I mean, he just, that's him. And so this was all out of skew for him because all those things were just not in their proper order in his life. But when God called, okay. And so he thought that he was going to end up in seminary this year, but God said, nope, right now. And there were blessings all around that. So he started in August, and uh, it was about a couple of weeks later, he called Kevin and I again, and he said, so I noticed a girl. (laughs) Oh, did you? Still praying contentment over my son. (laughs) Oh, did you now? And unbeknownst to Eric, there was a girl calling home to her mom saying, Mom, I noticed a man. (laughs) And three weeks ago, Eric and Rebecca, how cute is that? You know, Isaac and (laughs) Rebecca, got married. They met in September. They got engaged in February, and they're married today from just three weeks ago. Eric got his Rebecca. It's just, it's a beautiful love story of what happens when you're on God's plan. He didn't know he was going, he, he probably could quit seminary and feel like that's the reason that he went there, but they're finishing their degrees. <laughs> and so um, we, we pray for them and pray for their journey and pray for where God's going to bring them. And it is just an amazing thing to see this settled, deep contentment in my son that has not been there before. Although he was a joyful, happy, I don't always like the word happy. I don't, by the way, my kids know this. I publicly say it. I do not ever, not one time ever have I prayed for my, ha- my kids' happiness. I don't want them first happy. I want them first tucked in tight to Jesus because sometimes there's going to be things they're going to face in life that happiness will not carry them. It's not enough. It'll never be enough. I have never prayed. And I tell my kids that, you know, I don't pray for your happiness. Yes, we know. (laughs) Because joy, though, that comes from Jesus. Happiness comes from your circumstances. So it's okay to be happy. It's okay to be happy. But joy, nobody, nothing can take that away. My kids can go through the most horrific, horrendous, horrible, chaotic crises in life. And nothing can touch their joy, because that is only found in Jesus Christ. Nothing can attack their peace and their hope, because that's all found through Jesus. So Isaac and Rebecca, finally at the end of chapter 24, they meet face to face. She becomes his wife. And I love, it's just such a beautiful little phrase that when they meet, it says that, I think it's in verse 60, well, it's at the very end, 67-ish? And it's 66? Seven. And it says, so she became his wife and he loved her. What a bonus. What a bonus. She became his wife and he loved her. If you go back to James chapter 4 ever, right where it says the submitting part, that's in submit yourselves to God. Uh, Submit yourselves then to the Lord is in verse 7. If you travel 7 through 10, oh, James gives us some just powerful tools 
of how we submit, how we remain submitted and don't get off track confused. And he says to resist the devil, to come near to God, to wash your hands. That means clean up the dirt in your life. To purify your hearts. That's all about issues of morality. To grieve. What does it mean to grieve? It means to be miserable over your sin. I think this one and the next one and the next one that he says there in James chapter 4 are reasons why people in the church today struggle and are confused over control and anxiety and worry because we don't view sin how God views sin. It makes him sick. It brings tears to our, to our Lord. You should be miserable over your sin. And let me say this, when you are, what a gift. When you are convicted of something in your life that is not right, you should be singing the doxology. Because that's what doxazo is. It is a praise to the Lord for him to reveal to you for him, that he loves you enough and he knows that you're about to jump off that straight path or you've already fallen off that path and he wants you back on that he would love you enough to convict you of your sin. Sometimes we're like, would he just leave me alone? No, he don't want to leave you alone. You gave him permission to bug you. He doesn't force his way into your life. He's invited into your life. And so when you're convicted of something you're doing wrong, that is not you being smart. You're not that smart. We are not that smart. It is God's Holy Spirit doing what his Holy Spirit does. And then it says not even be miserable over your sin, but to mourn it. That means lament. Lament. We're teaching our kids right now to take responsibility for things. But before you can take responsibility, you need to have regret and remorse. Because you can say sorry all day long. But if you, have, if you don't have regret and remorse over that, then you're just going to go back and do it again. So you need to have regret and remorse. That's what the Lord would want for us. And then he says this, to wail. That's to repent. That's to change. Wail over your sin. And then he says to humble yourself. You know what that means? That literally means this, to assign yourself a lower rank. To assign yourself a lower rank. Some of us have put way too many stripes on our shoulders. On who's in charge? Who gets to say what? Who's doing what? The Lord. If you're truly submitting, you're entrusting the details to him, then you are, uh, and having a godly perspective, you're refocusing. So following God's ways are necessary. Rebecca and Isaac are submitted to him. And so we find in here that Isaac is 40 years old when he marries Rebecca. 40 when he marries Rebecca. And in chapter 25, verse 21, chapter 25, verse 21, we see something about their relationship and their marriage that potentially could be very confusing. Isaac prays to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. A man prays for his wife with the confusion that's going on in her life. And it says here that the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. And look at verse 22. The babies jostled within. The babies, oh, it's going to be twins. The babies... Pregnancy is stressful, and pregnancy instigates changes. 
It brings physical changes, emotional changes, appetite changes. And you see, when a pregnant woman wants and needs a chocolate shake from White Castle at 1 o'clock in the morning, she expects a chocolate shake from White Castle. One from Burger King or McDonald's will not do. It has to be a chocolate shake from White Castle. So when her husband returns from the midnight field trip, fulfilling his pregnant wife's desires of the must-have or someone-will-die expectation, and finds his beautiful pregnant bride sleeping after he drove the extra miles to find the open White Castle because the McDonald's was much closer, but he wanted to make sure that his wife had what she needed. Then imagine his shock, maybe horror, I don't know, at finding her asleep. He woke her up. You will drink this chocolate shake. <laughs> I tell that story as if I know all about it, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> She's pregnant, and these babies are jostling within her. And look, focus on the question that she asks in verse 22. It's an important question. She says, why is this happening? to me. Here's a refocus plan. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus himself says, in this world you will have trouble. Now this is a two-part refocus plan, because when you're confused, trouble brings confusion, right? Trouble brings confusion. In this world, you will have trouble. There's no may, there's no you might, there's no it's quite possible that. You will have trouble, but take heart. Take heart. That means take it to heart. It means know this, be assured of this, rest on this, stand on this, trust this. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. He has overcome the world. So your trouble is in the world, but he's overcome the world, which means he can be over top of any trouble in your life. Because what happens when trouble comes, when confusion even comes? Even to Rebecca, she's confused over something, and look at what she says. Why is this happening to me? Now that's a good question. Is it a good question? I don't know. Why do you ask it? Do you ask why because you don't get what you want? Do you ask why when life doesn't make sense? Do you ask why when life is hard or unfair? You see, I think it's really important that if you're going to ask that question, leave the last two words out. Why is this happening is a better question than why is this happening to me. Because it just might be happening because it's not all about you. I mean, have you ever faced some crisis or trouble in your life and then later on realized it was for somebody else's benefit, maybe not your own? That's what happens when we are having a godly perspective. We can ask why, but when we have the me gaze, it is hard to see anything or anybody else. And it's especially hard to submit to God when you've got your eyes on you and on your circumstances. Sometimes, when we say, why is this happening, 
And God comes back with that word that we all love, right? Wait. Wait. Do you know what a homophone is? What's a homophone? The fourth grade teacher says, yup, I do. <laughs> What's a homophone? What is it? Two words that sound the same that have different meanings. Isn't it interesting that the homophone of W-A-I-T is W-E-I-G-H-T? It's a struggle, isn't it? For a lot of people, it's a struggle. And so when we have focus on ourselves, it is so hard. You can't wait properly in the Lord if you're asking, why is this happening to me? Wait. It's an exasperating word. It's a confusion starter. <laughs> Rebecca has waited 20 years for why is this happening? Her barrenness question. Why can't I get pregnant? Why can't I get pregnant? For 20 years, she asked that question. She was required to wait, and she waited. Waiting builds trust. Waiting doesn't cause confusion. If you are waiting for something, if you're waiting for something to happen, for something to change, and it's not, then maybe the focus needs to be on who you're waiting in and not your what you're waiting for. Simple, simple little tweaks, and yet they're huge. Do you know that the Lord's, the Lord's word here, God's word, the Bible's filled with all kinds of ways on how to wait. He says to wait for the Lord. He says to Wait continually, wait patiently, wait all day, wait until the Lord comes. Do you like that one? Because that just might be how long some of us have to wait for what it is we're waiting for. Wait expectantly. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. And it says here, when she asked, why is this happening to me? She went to inquire of the Lord. She asks her question. She seeks the Lord. I think if she did that in the opposite order, it might have been a little different for her. How many times do we ask why, 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 and then we seek the Lord? She went to inquire. That means to consult frequently. To consult frequently is what the original text means there. So Rebecca gets her answer. But before we talk about that, let's look at this refocus plan. When you get an answer, don't be shocked, be ready. Don't be shocked, be ready. You see, being ready focuses you on the bearer of the news before the news. Jehovah is the one who bears the news to her. Remember the, the, the Lord God, the ruling, existing one? And he exists for you. He exists for me. He existed for Rebecca. So how does Jehovah exist in your life? Because in Scripture, there's many places where Jehovah is named Lord, and then it gives what he's Lord of. So there's Jehovah Jireh, which means he is the Lord who provides. There's Jehovah Rapha, because he is the God who exists as healer. He's Jehovah Shalom, 
because he is God who exists as, and there's Jehovah Raha who is that God exists as shepherd. And there's Jehovah Shammah, God exists. He's present. He's present. There's more, but we just did that. And so Rebecca asks, why is this happening to me? And then she inquires of the Lord, and then God answered. And he says in 23, oh, well, there's two nations in your womb. There are two people from within who will be separated, and one of them's going to be stronger than the other, and the older's going to serve the younger. Who? So she asked. She got her answer. Do some of you ask questions that later when you found out what the answer was, you wouldn't have wanted to hear the answer back when you asked the question? When you hear shocking news, how do you respond? Do you freak out or are you prepared? Do you freak out or are you prepared? Rebecca asks why. Does she, do we ask why of God because we think he made a mistake? Do we ask why of God because he doesn't know what he's doing? Because, Lord, I, I think I need to correct you here. We don't say that, but does why imply that? You see, God's incapable of error. He is the existing one. He is sovereign. He has supreme rank and he has the final say. God has a plan that includes and necessitates that Rebecca be ready, that she be prepared. He's letting her know what's happening, what's coming down the pike in her life because he wants her prepared. I can't imagine being the mother of two nations. And I have the responsibility to raise those two sons well so that they will handle and manage. Tell them, one day, this is going to be at war with each other. This is going to be, I mean, you know, family war. This is not going to do well later in life. And we need to know how we're going to work this out. And how are you two going to handle this? God let them in on what was coming so that they could be the best parents. How many of you wish that your kids came with that kind of a handbook? This is what your kids are going to face in life. Now raise them to face it. But see, God doesn't do that because he wants you to rely on him. He wants you to entrust him. He wants you to follow his ways. He, he wants us ready when the shocking news comes. Anxiety enters and control issues happen and confusion lands in this family. And I believe it's set up right here when she asks, why is this happening to me? And God answers her. She asks why? He answered. He is preparing her for the future, but she gets stuck because of the to me, to me part. So in verse 28, we see what happens. This will teach at a parenting seminar all day long. <laughs> The boys grew up, 27, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Hmm. Will that bring confusion into a home? 
Wow. Yeah, it sure will. This verse is a bullhorn broadcasting a heap of trouble in this family's life. Oh, don't you want to just scream in there and say, stop right now, just stop, don't do that. Don't go there. You might not even know the rest of the story and you could say, don't do that. Favoritism doesn't work ever. Aren't you glad God doesn't work like that? Oh, I'd be in a big heap of trouble if that was the case. Yeah. You see, God established a covenant relationship with Abraham, and God expected that to be carried through his bloodline and passed on. You can read Matthew chapter 1. I hope you don't, like, bypass the begets, right? Because in the King James Version, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, that means... Be, was the father of, was the father of, was the son to, da, da 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 There's important stuff in there. And when you look at that lineage and that family tree, they're a mess. There are some messy people, good people who were associated to, participated in, caused bad and ugly things. But when you get to Matthew, Chapter 1, I think it's, it's like the second column right about here, like verse 17, 18, something like that, where it says, who is the Christ? All that good, bad, and ugly, the Christ. That's our perspective. They didn't have that perspective. They had the same thing we have, though. That's holy God trusting in him. And God chose these people. And when there's twin boys, only one nation could be, could be the covenant people, the one that God was coming through. doesn't mean that God could not love, could not accept, could not have anything to do with the others. That's not what that means. But Isaac had twins, and only one could continue what God started. God chose Jacob. Why? Why did he choose the younger twin to be the stronger, served by the older. Why? See, I love to know these things, but there are times when my need to know needs to be turned down or off. Because sometimes things just don't make sense. God chose Jacob, period. He chose. There's probably some answer on why. But do we really need to know that when it comes to asking God why? Can't it just be enough that because God said so? Yeah. Now, that's not a good parenting tool, the whole because I said so thing. I mean, there are times when you can pull that one out, but when your kids ask a good question, answer their question. When grandchildren ask a question, answer the question. I love the why questions. You have such an opportunity in those why questions to just lay down some good foundational stuff. Why, why, why in the daycare? <laughs> The why coming out, because they want to know. They're putting it all together. They're figuring it out. They need to know why. God does not act to meet our expectations, but God will always meet our needs. God knows all, therefore his plan has to happen. His plan will happen, and it should happen, and will happen his way. You see, years later, Jacob has a name change. What was Jacob's name changed to? Israel, that's right. That's where Jesus came through. 
God has a plan. You see, Jacob's grandma, that's Sarah, was told that kings of people would come through her and that she would be the mother of many nations and God will keep his word because he can't not keep his word. That was all kinds of double negative stuff in there, wasn't it? <laughs> God will keep his word. Our need is met through the most treasured gift that God gave. Rebecca made a poor choice when she chose to love one son over another. Yes, that's ugly and bad stuff. She made mistakes and she made poor choices. <laughs> Do you ever say that about somebody? Oh, they just made a little mistake. When really all they did was sin. But we just want to say, oh, they, just, they didn't mean it. They just made a little mistake. We try to help Christians by defending poor choices. So let's be clear here. Rebecca sinned. She should not have loved one son more than another. She should not have played favorites. Isaac should not have played favorites. He should not have chosen one son over another. There will be consequences because of their sin. There always is. Would you love your Christian friends enough that when they confess that they've sinned, would you please leave it as a sin? Don't sugarcoat it or try to make it better for them. Say, man, thank you for, thank you for being bold to share that with me. Because they're helping you to learn how to do that later also when the need arises. We call too many sins mistakes and poor choices. Yes, there are mistakes. Yes, there are poor choices. But when something's a sin, call it a sin. Call it what it is. Rebecca loved Jacob, and she was more concerned with helping him get what he deserves than she was concerned about raising him to effectively carry out the covenant that God had established. And consequences resulted. Jacob, he manipulates Esau to sell his birthright for a bowl of stew. That's so dumb, but he did it. God's will must be done God's way. Yes, Jacob is to have the birthright, but not through ungodly conduct. That's why God's will must be done God's way. If you're trying to do God's will against Scripture, against His ways, then you're wrong. You're just wrong. God's will must be done God's way. So it says in here that Rebecca kind of overhears. Okay, see, there's that little thing again. She, she, over, she just happened to be in the room where they were talking. Oh, my word. She planned that whole thing and eavesdropped right there. She knew exactly what she was doing, and it was just dumb. It was bad. It's wrong. It's ugly. She's a good person doing wrong. Refocus. Refusing to yield wields your way. <laughs> Look in chapter 27, verse 13. This is a woman who is absolutely refusing to yield because she says to her son, just do what I say. Just do what I say. She's talking about getting the birthright that God has already told her was going to happen when she was pregnant with the boy. And he's a man now. 
She already knows that God is the one, but she somehow turned this into her. Now you just go and do what I say. Oh, man, that's going to get us in trouble every single time. Don't tell your friends. Don't tell your church people. Don't tell your family. Don't tell your children. Don't tell your grandchildren to do what you say when it comes to God's ways. Say, let me show you what God has to say. What does God have to say? My dad, uh, he's 80-something years old, and he's the wisest man I know, and I love my dad. Just, I love my dad. And he has these little things that he says every once in a while, and this one just has took root in me. God, he approaches God's word. He said, it is revelation, not education. It is revelation, not education. And I have to remember that every time I sit down and I read God's word. So when we say, you know what I found in God's word today? I know what we mean, and that's not sinning. That's not making a mistake. I get it. But I've tried to change my verbiage to say, do you want to know what God revealed to me today? Because see, if it's what I found, then who's in control of reading it? Me. Then that's just education. But if God revealed it to me, whoa, now God's speaking. It's not me just reading it. God is speaking it straight to me. You see, God wasn't working fast enough. We saw what happened yesterday with Abraham and Sarah and that. And God's not working fast enough. Here you have cookies waiting, so we'll, we'll be done. As Tom Harmon says, you just didn't listen fast enough. So <laughs> a pileup of consequences happened because of an avalanche of deception in their lives. Rebecca, I, t- I took a lot of time in the beginning to build up how they were tucked in tight to the Lord because that's who they truly were. That's who they truly are. They're good people, God's people. And then something happened in their life. They asked why, and they got confused. And so the final refocus plan is to stand firm in your faith. Isaiah 7, 9, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you don't stand at all. There it is, plain. How many don't understand what that means? It's just so, Isaiah 7, 9, it's so just plain and simple. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you do not stand at all. This couple toppled because trouble came. As a follower of Jesus, choosing to stand firm in the faith will submit to God's will, and you will yield to his ways. And that is how you get refocused when you're confused. Jesus, thank you so much for showing up and showing off in our lives. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we've opened it today, and I thank you that you revealed it to us. So God, now we need to take it all, and we need to apply it to our lives. It's not enough to just look at what happened with Isaac and Rebecca. If we do not apply it to where we are at, we miss the biggest piece of all, and that's being tucked in tight to you. Thank you that you refocus the confused people. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible study is at uh, 10.30 next, so go get your cookie and head on to the next place.